Chapter 15 of Volume 2 of The Mysterious Island. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysterious Island by Jules Verne. Translated by William Henry Giles Kingston. Volume 2, Chapter 15. The next day, the 20th of October, at seven o'clock in the morning, after a voyage of four days, the Bonaventure gently glided up to the beach at the mouth of the Mercy. Cyrus Harding and Neb, who had become very uneasy at the bad weather and the prolonged absence of their companions, had climbed at daybreak to the plateau of Prospect Heights, and they had at last caught sight of the vessel, which had been so long in returning. "'God be praised! There they are!' exclaimed Cyrus Harding. As to Neb and his joy, he began to dance, to twirl around, clapping his hands and shouting, Oh, my master! A more touching pantomime than the finest discourse. The engineer's first idea, on counting the people on the deck of the Bonaventure, was that Pencroft had not found the castaway of Tabor Island, or at any rate, that the unfortunate man had refused to leave his island and change one prison for another. Indeed, Pencroft, Gideon Spilett, and Herbert were alone on the deck of the Bonaventure. The moment the vessel touched, the engineer and Ned were waiting on the beach, and before the passengers had time to leap onto the sand, Harding said, We have been very uneasy at your delay, my friends. Did you meet with any accident? No, replied Gideon Spilett. On the contrary, everything went wonderfully well. We will tell you all about it. However, returned the engineer, your search has been unsuccessful, since you are only three, just as you went. Excuse me, Captain, replied the sailor. We are four. You have found the castaway? Yes. And you have brought him? Yes. Living? Yes. Where is he? Who is he? He is, replied the reporter, or rather he was, a man. There, Cyrus, that is all we can tell you. The engineer was then informed of all that had passed during the voyage, and under what conditions the search had been conducted. How the only dwelling in the island had long been abandoned, how at last a castaway had been captured, who appeared no longer to belong to the human species. And that's just the point, added Pencroft. I don't know if we have done right to bring him here. Certainly you have, Pencroft, replied the engineer quickly. But the wretched creature has no sense. That is possible at present, replied Cyrus Harding. But only a few months ago the wretched creature was a man like you and me. And who knows what will become of the survivor of us after a long solitude on this island. It is a great misfortune to be alone, my friends, and it must be believed that solitude can quickly destroy reason, since you have found this poor creature in such a state. But, Captain, asked Herbert, what leads you to think that the brutishness of this unfortunate man began only a few months back? Because the document we found has been recently written, answered the engineer, and the castaway alone can have written it. Always supposing, observed Gideon Spilett, that it had not been written by a companion of this man since dead. That is impossible, my dear Spilett. Why so? asked the reporter. Because the document then would have spoken of two castaways, replied Harding, and it mentioned only one. Herbert then in a few words related the incidents of the voyage, and dwelt on the curious fact of the sort of passing gleam in the prisoner's mind, when for an instant, at the height of the storm, he had become a sailor. Well, Herbert, replied the engineer, you are right to attach great importance to this fact. The unfortunate man cannot be incurable, and despair has made him what he is, but here he will find his fellow men, and since there is still a soul in him, this soul we shall save. The castaway of Tabor Island, to the great pity of the engineer and the great astonishment of Neb, 
was then brought from the cabin which he occupied in the forepart of the Bonaventure. When once on land, he manifested a wish to run away. But Cyrus Harding approached, placed his hand on his shoulder with a gesture full of authority, and looked at him with infinite tenderness. Instantly the unhappy man, submitting to a superior will, gradually became calm. His eyes fell, his head bent, and he made no more resistance. Poor fellow, murmured the engineer. Cyrus Hardy had attentively observed him. To judge by his appearance, this miserable being had no longer anything human about him, and yet Harding, as had the reporter already, observed in his look an indefinable trace of intelligence. It was decided that the castaway, or rather the stranger, as he was henceforth turned by his companions, should live in one of the rooms of Granite House, from which, however, he could not escape. He was led there without difficulty, and with careful attention, it might, perhaps, be hoped that some day he would be a companion to the settlers in Lincoln Island. Cyrus Harding, during breakfast, which Neb had hastened to prepare as the reporter, Herbert, and Pencroft were dying of hunger, heard in detail all the incidents which had marked the voyage of exploration to the island. He agreed with his friends on this point, that the stranger must be either English or American, the name Britannia leading them to suppose this, and besides, through the bushy beard and under the shaggy matted hair, the engineer thought he could recognize the characteristic features of the Anglo-Saxon. But, by the by, said Gideon Spilett, addressing Herbert, you never told us how you met this savage, and we know nothing, except that you would have been strangled if we had not happened to come up in time to help you. Upon my word, answered Herbert, it is rather difficult to say how it happened. I was, I think, occupied in collecting my plants, when I heard a noise like an avalanche falling from a very tall tree. I scarcely had time to look around. This unfortunate man, who was without doubt concealed in a tree, rushed upon me in less time than I take to tell you about it, and unless Mr. Spillett and Pencroft, my boy, said Cyrus Harding, you ran a great danger. But perhaps, without that, the poor creature would have still hidden himself from your search, and we would not have had a new companion. You hope then, Cyrus, to succeed in reforming the man, asked the reporter. Yes, replied the engineer. Breakfast over, Harding and his companions left Granite House and returned to the beach. There they occupied themselves in unloading the Bonaventure, and the engineer, having examined the arms and tools, saw nothing which could help them to establish the identity of the stranger. The capture of pigs, made on the islet, was looked upon as being very profitable to Lincoln Island, and the animals were led to this dye, where they soon became at home. The two barrels, containing the powder and shot, as well as the box of caps, were very welcome. It was agreed to establish a small powder magazine, either outside Granite House or in the upper cavern, where there would be no fear of explosion. However, the use of proxylite was to be continued, for this substance giving excellent results, there was no reason for substituting ordinary powder. When the unloading of the vessel was finished, Captain, said Pencroft, I think it would be prudent to put our boat adventure in a safe place. Is she not safe at the mouth of the Mercy? asked Captain Harding. No, Captain, replied the sailor. Half of the time she is stranded on the sand, and that works her. She is a famous craft, you see, and she behaved admirably during the squall which struck us on our return. Could she not float in the river? No doubt, Captain, she could, but there is no shelter there, and in the east winds I think that the Bonaventure would suffer much from the surf. Well, where would you put her, Pencroft? In Port Balloon, replied the sailor. That little creek, shut in by rocks, seems to me to be just the harbor we want. Is it not rather far? Pooh! It is not more than three miles from Granite House, and we have a fine straight road to take us there. Do it then, Pencroft, and take your Bonaventure there, replied the engineer, and yet I would rather have her under our more immediate protection. When we have time, we must make a little harbor for her. Famous! 
exclaimed Pencroft. A harbor with a lighthouse, a pier, and dock. Ah, really with you, Captain, everything becomes easy. Yes, my brave Pencroft, answered the engineer, but on condition, however, that you help me, for you do as much as three men in all our work. Herbert and the sailor then re-embarked on board the Bonaventure. The anchor was weighed, the sail hoisted, and the wind drove her rapidly towards Claw Cape. Two hours later, she was reposing on the tranquil waters of Port Balloon. During the first days passed by the stranger in Granite House, had he already given them reason to think that his savage nature was becoming tamed? Did a brighter light burn in the depths of that obscured mind? In short, was the soul returning to the body? Yes, to a certainty, and to such a degree, that Cyrus Harding and the reporter wondered if the reason of the unfortunate man had ever been totally extinguished. At first, accustomed to the open air, to the unrestrained liberty which he enjoyed on Tabor Island, the stranger manifested a sullen fury, and it was feared that he might throw himself onto the beach out of one of the windows of Granite House. But gradually he became calmer, and more freedom was allowed to his movements. They had reason to hope, and to hope much. Already, forgetting his carnivorous instincts, the stranger accepted a less bestial nourishment than that on which he had fed on the islet, and cooked meat did not produce in him the same sentiment of repulsion which he had showed on board the Bonaventure. Cyrus Harding had profited by a moment when he was sleeping to cut his hair and matted beard, which formed a sort of mane and gave him such a savage aspect. He had also been clothed more suitably, after having got rid of the rag which covered him. The result was that, thanks to these attentions, the stranger resumed a more human appearance, and it even seemed as if his eyes had become milder. Certainly, when formally lighted up by intelligence, this man's face must have had a sort of beauty. Every day, Harding imposed on himself the task of passing some hours in his company. He came and worked near him, and occupied himself in different things, so as to fix his attention. A spark, indeed, would be sufficient to re-illuminate that soul, a recollection crossing that brain to recall reason. That had been seen during the storm on board the Bonaventure. The engineer did not neglect either to speak aloud, so as to penetrate at the same time by the organs of hearing and sight the depths of that torpid intelligence. Sometimes one of his companions, sometimes another, sometimes all joined him. They spoke out most of things belonging to the navy, which must interest a sailor. At times, the stranger gave some slight attention to what was said, and the settlers were soon convinced that he partly understood them. Sometimes the expression of his countenance was deeply sorrowful, a proof that he suffered mentally, for his face could not be mistaken. But he did not speak, although at different times, however, they almost thought the words were about to issue from his lips. At all events, the poor creature was quite quiet and sad. But was not his calm only apparent? Was not his sadness only the result of his seclusion? Nothing could yet be ascertained. Seeing only certain objects and in a limited space, always in contact with the colonists, to whom he would soon become accustomed, having no desires to satisfy, better fed, better clothed, it was natural that his physical nature should gradually improve. But was he penetrated with the sense of a new life? Or rather, to employ a word which would be exactly applicable to him, was he not becoming tamed, like an animal, in company with his master? This was an important question, which Cyrus Harding was anxious to answer and yet he did not wish to treat his invalid roughly. Would he ever be a convalescent? How the engineer observed him every moment. How he was on the watch for his soul, if one may use the expression. How he was ready to grasp it. The settlers followed with real sympathy all the phases of the cure undertaken by Harding. They aided him also in this work of humanity, and all, except perhaps the incredulous Pencroft, soon shared both his hope and his faith. The calm of the stranger was deep, as has been said, and he even showed a sort of attachment for the engineer, whose influence he evidently felt. Cyrus Harding resolved then to try him, 
by transporting him to another scene from that ocean which formerly his eyes had been accustomed to contemplate, to the border of a forest, which might perhaps recall those where so many years of his life had been passed. But, said Gideon Spilett, can we hope that he will not escape, if once set at liberty? The experiment must be tried, replied the engineer. Well, said Pencroft, when that fellow is outside and feels the fresh air, he will be off as fast as his legs can carry him. I do not think so, returned Harding. Let us try, said Spilett. We will try, replied the engineer. This was on the 30th of October, and consequently the castaway of Tabor Island had been a prisoner in Granite House for nine days. It was warm, and a bright sun darted its rays on the island. Cyrus Harding and Pencroft went to the room occupied by the stranger, who was found lying near the window and gazing at the sky. Come, my friend, said the engineer to him. The stranger rose immediately. His eyes were fixed on Cyrus Harding, and he followed him, while the sailor marched behind him, little confident as to the result of the experiment. Arrived at the door, Harding and Pencroft made him take his place in the lift, while Neb, Herbert, and Gideon Spilett waited for them before Granite House. The lift descended, and in a few moments all were united on the beach. The settlers went a short distance from the stranger, so as to leave him at liberty. He then made a few steps towards the sea, and his look brightened with extreme agitation. But he did not make the slightest attempt to escape. He was gazing on the little waves which, broken by the islet, rippled on the sand. This is only the sea, observed Gideon Spilett, and possibly it does not inspire him with any wish to escape. Yes, replied Harding. We must take him to the plateau, on the border of the forest. There the experiment will be more conclusive. Besides, he could not run away, said Neb, since the bridge is raised. Oh, said Pencroft, that isn't a man to be troubled by a stream like Creek Glycerin. He could cross it directly at a single bound. We shall soon see. Harding contented himself with replying, his eyes not quitting those of his patient. The latter was then led towards the mouth of the Mercy, and all climbing the left bank of the river reached Prospect Heights. Arrived at the spot on which grew the first beautiful trees of the forest, their foliage slightly agitated by the breeze, the stranger appeared greedily to drink in the penetrating odor which filled the atmosphere, and a long sigh escaped from his chest. The settlers kept behind him, ready to seize him if he made any movement to escape and indeed the poor creature was on the point of springing into the creek which separated him from the forest, and his legs were bent for an instant as if for a spring. But almost immediately he stepped back, half sank down, and a large tear fell from his eyes. Ah! exclaimed Cyrus Harding. You have become a man again, or you can weep. End of chapter 15 Recording by Todd